Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Good to see everyone this morning. I'm glad you're here. Even the newborns. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Three months into this world, how we need to pray for our children. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure to be back. I was gone last week. I got to fill in for a pastor friend of mine who was um, away, needed some time off. So it's always good to be home. It's always a pleasure to be amongst the body of Christ. And I was uh, sharing with my wife, I said, you know, I just love being here. I love being with the body. It's so incredible. So with that, if you have your Bibles, turn in them to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hands and um, the ushers will bring you a Bible. Leave your hands up. You can take those Bibles with you. And uh, if you would like, if you like it the better, better than the one you have, then just leave yours behind. Put in the lost and found and we'll give it away or we'll trade it or something. Um, 1 Thessalonians 3, we're looking at Paul's letter to the church, and and obviously we've come to a point to where I thought earlier in the week, I thought, well, we'll just cover this whole chapter, and then some things were being laid upon my heart. I said, let's just stick within the first five verses. So if you're there, 1 Thessalonians 3, let's stand together. We'll read his word, his word to us. So good to have the Gideons here to remind us of the power of God's Word too. Last week is a uh, just a blessing to have His Word. Paul writing says, Therefore we could no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and, of our fellow la- uh, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For, in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it has happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. And so once again, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts. This is a word for today. The word for us. We plow through your scriptures. We know that every time we gather together, you have something to say to us. So speak clearly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we've we've come to this place uh, in thinking back when Paul was in Thessalonica. He had, uh, Acts chapter 17 is where we get our history from. And we were reminded that he was there for a short time. But in the short time he was there, he was effective in, in the ministry there. He was effective in the things that had to take place. He was effective in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, it was just a wonderful thing. It wasn't a vacation for him. It wasn't a time off or a period he was going to check on loved ones. But it was literally a uh, time of ministry. But soon after, you know, things became turbulent. Things got a little crazy along the route. 
Um, it didn't take long for that to happen. The crowds in Thessalonica had came upon, they, uh, you know, they stirred up. They were getting, they were getting upset at the fact that Paul and, and Silas had, uh, so the, the crowds were getting so stirred up, they had to leave there. And they went to Berea before moving on to Athens. And then keep this in mind because the opposition that came against Paul and Silas and uh, his servants there, the, the, the crowds were hostile. They were just upset so much. You ever ran into a crowd? I guess you can YouTube them nowadays or watch them on the news. But if you ever ran into a crowd that was just so upset, and these guys were religious leaders, they were jealous. They didn't want their people that were following them to follow the truth, because if they followed the truth, they would leave them. And Paul was representing the truth of Jesus Christ. And so the impact in these that we know of short three Sabbaths or three weeks that Paul and his companions were there, it was very impressive. The impact that was taking place. And the notice that it wasn't just a, um, a, a trip to where Harris Paul is, watch out, he's coming through. But it was effective there. He was effective there. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the opposition was crying out against Paul and his fellow servants and said, but when they did not find them, this is Paul and Silas, here's the opposition, always looking for the main person. Let's put him down. They dragged Jason, so if they can't find you, they'll find somebody. <laughs> they dragged J Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, of the, uh, to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Uh, that, was a, that was what was happening there. The religious leaders were sick and tired of Paul and his people coming in, and he was ministering to the crowds, and so they took him and his companions and they were said that they were turning the world upside down and that they shouldn't be allowed in Thessalonica any longer. The truth had entered into the town. People were getting saved. People were being set free by the simple preaching of the gospel. They had the word. They had Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They taught of the sufferings of Christ and people were listening to it. And they were leaving their pagan gods. They were leaving the pagan worship centers and they were coming to faith in Christ. In verse uh, 9 of chapter 1, we're reminded when it says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And now you're waiting on him, verse 10 goes on to say, Now you're waiting on his soon return. So that was their testimony, but that was the thing that they had upset the uh, religious leaders in Thessalonica, is that these people, wait a second, the world's being turned upside down. And matter of fact, they should, they should have been saying it's been turned right side up. But the opposition to the gospel will never tell you a positive thing about the gospel going out. And so you have these religious leaders in there that are coming against Paul. And I think it's much of the same today. Opposition. If you want to stand up for the truth. I mean, you think if you even want to be a moralist nowadays, you're, you're in opposition uh, to much of the world. Or if you want to be an opposing political parties, you know what, you know, especially those who are opposing the gospel. There's an, enough of uh, opposition out there that are going to oppose the gospel out there. But I find it interesting because they, and they, when I speak of they, I think of those who oppose the truth, those who oppose the gospel. They don't even want their pe people to hang out with people that are of the truth or of a different political party. Many of you saw the recent uh, chatter bug or whatever that's going around with LNG and 
former Vice President Bush, they were in the uh, watching the football game in the press box at Dallas Stadium. And all of a sudden, Ellen Generis, she's a, a, a Hollywood professing lesbian um, TV personality. And she just, uh, I, I mean, I got to love her response to her people, be, or to the people, I say the liberals, the ones in the world. They were saying, well, you shouldn't even be hanging out with that guy. She says, look, I hang out with people all the time that are of opposing opinions and views of religious leaders. You see, they're trying to draw such an opposition of a line there that they don't even want you hanging out with those of you who want to walk with Jesus especially. You want to be saved. You want to be born again. You want to walk with the truth and stand up for the truth. So you have this party here, this not just say a party, you have a sect of people, the opposition of this world. They want you hanging out. If you didn't know you're walking with the Lord, you're going to face opposition. Well, you think about what's happening is the world, you think about, you know, you think, well, when is the world ever going to deal with sin? I hope you're not waiting for the world to get better. But I think you and I, who have the power to change, I was watching uh, Tom McMahon from the Berean Call this week, and he was saying, even in the church, where the church is going off the deep end, he says, we can't change that. But what we can do be is in a rescue mode. That's so much ministry to me. I think that's where we're at. We're in a rescue mode. But listen, when it comes to the world and dealing with sin, it's never going to deal with sin. But understand this, God will. And it's amazing to see the depth of sin that the world will tolerate. I mean, the waistline goes lower. Uh, the immoral things that will, you know, that, that the world just approves of. You think of how many marriages is too many or whom to whom shall we marry. I'm speaking of boys, the boys, girls, the girls, and all this other stuff. The answer is never. The world is never going to call sin, sin, because it has a ruler, the prince of darkness, that's in creating the world and the world system. And we see from, again, from the short time that Paul laid um, land in, in Thessalonica, the short time that he spent there, the, the Thessalonians, the lost in Thessalonica, were pretty adamant about not wanting to change. Some of them were being changed. Some of them have come to the gospel. Some of them were being ministered to. Some of them were leaving. But then there were some who were just saying, you know what, this isn't going to happen on my watch. We're not going to go there. And there were some who were, as I say, were impacted, but then some who weren't. And the ones who were impacted by the gospel were also those who were receiving persecution because of the change that Jesus Christ was bringing to their lives. Look, if you want to come to church, it's one thing. But if you want to live your life for Christ, it's going to be noticed by your friends. It's going to be noticed by those that, you know, coming to church is... Well, you're going to church and you're adamant about being part of the body of Christ and you're adamant about being, man, I just want to be, you know, I want to be there. I want to be there. I just want to be what God is doing. I want to be a part of it. I want to find out how I can serve. People are going to trip out on you. And your old friends are going to pay, take notice of you, you know, and they're going to, what, what's going on with that person? Well, this is what's happening in Thessalonica. And Paul, he's waiting for, uh, he's waiting in Athens and he gets to the point to where he sees it best to send Timothy. I need to send some help. I'm concerned about them. I want you to bring a report back. We'll hear of the report next week. But here we're going to look at the things that we have in the first five verses. And he says in verse 1, as he begins to send the help, he says, Therefore, well, we'll stop there just for a minute because what is that therefore? 
Up in verse 19 and 20, when Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? You are our glory and joy. Therefore, so he's talking about how neat it is to be a fellowship that, that we can come together and we can hang out together. We can serve the Lord together and all the, the neat things that God has done. I think of um, you know going and, and teaching, as I mentioned last week when I was gone, one of the ladies in, this, in the fellowship at the first service came up to me afterwards and she said, Pastor Al, it's so good to see you. And I'm trying to put a face of the name. You know, I'm just bad. Some of you know that already, and I've seen you every week. And, and she said, you know, when you came to minister to my husband, the light went on. He's still walking with Jesus. He said, he's not doing good in health, but he's still walking with Jesus. That was 25 years ago. But you see, that's part of what Paul's talking about. What is our hope, our crown, our rejoicing? What is it? It's you. It's us together, knowing that we have heaven we have this uh, one, this body that we come together and they don't think like that out in the world, how we can be unified, how we can be together, how important it is to be feeding on the Word of God and worshiping our Lord. Because of these things, you are our glory and joy because of the fellowship that He longed for. We have this, you know, we're going to be spending eternity in heaven together. Is that wonderful? And I'll be able to sing then. Either that or you'll be able to put up with me better. <laughs> but he says this, therefore, because of what we get to look forward to, he says, therefore, in verse 1, we could no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. See, Paul had a great concern on the well-being of those in the church. The true shepherd, by the way. He just didn't get up on Sunday mornings and give a Bible study. He doesn't come on Wednesdays and, you know, pop in and pop out. But he has a concern. Remember, in all of his list of things, the perils of this and the perils of that, he said, you know, through all of those things, it was, it was uh, shipwrecked and left naked and, and hungry and sleepless nights and all this stuff. But he says, those things didn't bother me. At the end of the list, you know what he said? What concerns me more than all of that is my concern for... The church for you guys a true shepherd's heart and paul says that you know that's hard i'm i'm concerned about your well-being and he writes to his friends here at thessalonica see he can't he can't be with them earlier we saw that it was satan that hindered him he came against him in some way and because he can't be with them it doesn't calm his heart and his concern for them knowing that i just want to know how my friends are doing how are they doing the same thing in, in uh, philippi Writing to them, letting them know about his or where he was at, and wanting to find out about them. So he has this concern about them, and as he's waiting in Athens, there are some things that he sees there that need to be addressed. And so with that, you know, he's he's not getting restless to the point of hey, I got to go do something, but he's at the point where he says, you know, I got to I got to take take heed and take uh, and minister to the things that are taking place where I'm at right now. And, and I'll tell you what those were. In Acts 17, 16, it says, Now while, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So he's sitting there waiting there, worrying about his friends in Thessalonians, seeing what's happening in Athens. And because of the great love that he had for them, he just, you know, and he couldn't be with them, he, and he couldn't just abandon their 
spiritual needs. He says, I got to be with you. There's something about what's going on. He says, you know what? I'm going to do the next best thing and I'm going to send Timothy. I'm going to send Timothy to you that he might be with you, that he might find out and bring report back to me just how you're doing. I mean, he doesn't have email, right? Nowadays, what do we do? Send out an email or a text message and we hear right back. And we go, oh, yeah, I'm doing okay. I just, uh, sorry, I've been busy on Sundays. I haven't been there for a while. And, you know, we go, oh, okay. Huh, on my heart a little, little bit. But Paul doesn't have that. So he sends a messenger out. He sends Timothy out. He wants to, you know, make sure that their spiritual needs are being met. And this must have been awesome for the Apostle Paul because, listen, he can't be everywhere. And again, there's no sense of calling. We can't call or get uh, information right away of what's happening with our dear friends. I don't know how we would do it if we live without phones. I'm, I'm being honest. And how, how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you still have a corded phone plugged into your wall at home? How many of you? Wow. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? I mean, we got our phones locked on us. I mean, it's just the way it is nowadays. But see, here we have this. Yeah, some of us are in bondage. <laughs> okay. I'll be Let's call it for what it is. I'm just, okay, so... Paul, Paul has this concern for them. And, the, and, and it must have been awesome for him because he looks out there and he sees somebody that he can entrust him. Remember his letter, I think it was the Philippians, he said, man, all have abandoned me. But here he sees Timothy. And what a comfort that must have been for him because he can have somebody fill in, you know, to, to get the ministry, may the ministry continue, even though he can't take care of it all, he can do the same thing. You know, Timothy, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Timothy's going to touch base with you. And I, I love that. I, you know, I love that about the ministry here because whether I'm gone or whether I'm here, we have a blessed opportunity to, we make sure that the people are coming in here, whether it's one of our elders, one of our leaders, or a pastor coming from out of town or, or you know, out of the area, that they're coming and bringing to you your needs. What do you need? The Word of God. It's so important. So here you have Timothy, and Timothy has these qualities that Paul points out. This is why he had comfort. First, he called him a brother. You see that? He said he's a brother. This is one, a brother, you think, of one who's approachable. But not only that, he has the same family standards. He's not running with his own agenda. He's not going to change things up when things get there, when he gets there. He has this, he has a, a, the, the desire to accomplish the will of his heavenly father. It's like Jesus said in John chapter 4. He said, when they were concerned about him eating food, he says, you know what, I don't have anything to eat, but my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish that work. That's what nourishes me. And so here you have Timothy able to be sent out, and Paul calls him a brother. A brother, he wasn't looking for titles or positions. He wasn't looking to have his name on the marquee. Hey, would you, do you have the, my name out there? They build a web page and put it out there and let them know that I'm coming. He didn't have any of that. See, he had the same vision for the same gospel, and he held the word of God in high esteem, and he was so, it was so important that he uh, be one to give glory to God in all that he did. He was a brother, attached, the same father, bought by the same blood, sealed by the same spirit. And then he said that Timothy, not only is he a brother, but he's a minister. He's a, he's a minister, which means he's a fellow servant. People get this idea to where if you're a minister, where's your collar? Now, they trip out when I go into the jails or I go to visit somebody. I go to the hospitals, you know. Hey, uh, yeah, and they call you on the phone. Yeah, I'm here to visit so-and-so. And they go, who are you? Are you a family? I said, no, I'm clergy. And I hang up the phone. And I may have just got done mowing the yard, but I got my 
cut my shorts and my flip flops on, and my sunglasses are on top of my head. And I walk in and I go, uh, "Yeah, move over. We're waiting for the pastor to come in. <laughs> He'd be here, you know. <laughs> what up?" <laughs> So, so, so he's a minister, you see. He didn't have this call around. His credentials are that he was called by God. He was called by God. There, was no, there wasn't a job that was too small or too big. He didn't hand pick, you know, cherry pick through them. Every day was just as another in the service to the Lord. Look, I'm here, to, I'm here to serve God. It doesn't matter what it is. And so Timothy was more inspired to serve the Lord than he was to let those know how he was serving. Look, I'm just a minister of the gospel. It means a servant. I'm a fellow servant. So needless to say, it was uh, a blessing for Paul to be able to send this brother, this minister. But he also says he's a fellow laborer. It speaks of him being a team player. He didn't write his own handbook, his own plays. Hey, let me know when I can get involved or when I'm the man. He didn't have his own agenda. He didn't have his own game plan. There's none of that. He was a fellow laborer. And Timothy could be used... Uh, because he was on board with what the Lord was doing. He just saw, what is God doing? That's what I want to do. Hey, Paul, what do you need me for? That's what I want to do. You go along, do a post pattern. I'll hit you in the end zone. That's what it is. There's people over there that need to be saved. Okay, let's go do this. You see, he was committed and ready to serve with the rest of the team, not against the rest of the team. You see, for Paul to be able to send a person like Timothy, it allowed him to do what he had to do when he saw the things that were happening in Athens. He goes, wait, these guys are giving over idols. Oh my gosh. So Paul wasn't just saying, why don't you do this and I'll just sit back and twiddle my thumbs or I'll go fishing or I'll go, you know, whatever it is. Paul said, you know what, there's, a, there's a, something here that I can take care of that's really been on my heart. And Timothy, you're qualified. Let me tell you how wonderful it is to have people that are, have their hearts in the right spot that want to serve God, that are able to go do what God wants them to do as part of the ministry without having to worry about them. Oh my See, faithful, trustworthy people allow leaders to do what they're called to do. And it's so amazing, so impressed with a guy like Timothy. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, we had a young man who, a young man who had a call in his life, and he was, uh, began teaching. He was, actually, I'll tell you, he was a really good teacher. But a sh- you know, after a short time, it was evident that he wanted to be seen as a leader. He wanted to be noticed. Then he wanted this title or position, and he became more of a burden of the bless, or more of a burden than a blessing to me and to the others leaders in the church. And as time went on, you can see, clearly see that his motives that he wasn't there really to serve and to be all in. He wanted that promotion. Then when the promotion wasn't given, then he, uh, you know, just uh, well, it's time for me to check out. And sadly, the story remained the same for the next three or so churches that he and his family attended. Very sad. And listen, faithful and trustworthy people are so valuable to the ministry. Faithful and trustworthy. And Timothy is being able to send, be sent by Paul. And then he, Paul gives us the reason or the purpose why he was sending Timothy in verse 2. In verse 3 he says, it's to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken of these afflictions by uh, you yourself. Uh, excuse me, of these afflictions for you yourselves, know that we are appointed to this. See, the church in Thessalonica was one that was uh, in need of being built up because they had been beaten up. They were one that had gone through the ringers. They were the ones that were suffering persecution. And I don't know how many people 
um, in the world there is without having, I don't know how people get through the world without having a church being plugged into fellowship on a regular basis. We need encouragement. When you look out there in the world, in the world you got 10,000 voices coming into your mind and your ears and your eyes at one time. And I was reading my, my phone, sent me a message this morning, said, you are down in your screen time. Praise the Lord. You guys ever get those things? Here's how much FaceTime you're getting on your, on your iPhone. So you are down on your screen time. I'm like, thankful. Thank you, Jesus. But you know what? There, there are people that they, they think they can get by without having that encouragement, without being in the fellowship. Listen, they need, we need to be together. We need to be you know, fighting this thing together, in, in the battle together. We're in the Lord's army, and we can't do it on our own. It seems that everything the world has to offer, all the cause of division, all the hatred, if you're going to stand up for Jesus in this world that we live in, you're going to take your lumps. But let me tell you this, don't go it alone. You need one another. The enemy's just waiting. I guess it's hunting season, right? Archery, whatever. They're out there and the enemy's just waiting. He's more patient than you hunters. He's out there going, I, I'm studying you. I'll know when that person is lonely. I'll just kick them right when they're down. And he'll do that. And see, we need to be encouraged to continue on because of what we have in the end. We have heaven. And be, you know, we need to be encouraged and continue on that, hey, you know what, it's all going to be all right. This, is, this world is the worst it ever gets. We have heaven that awaits. And it keeps us going to get through the tough times. But that encouragement comes from the body of Christ, from hanging out together. And that's what Timothy is sent to do. But sadly, it's often uh, at the first sight of any tribulation or trial or affliction or persecution, or even if, if some faith-shattering event that takes place, that some are prone to leave the place of encouragement and head for the hills. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do, is to isolate yourself. And he says, I won't, I'll get you right where I want you. Just to be isolated because you're ineffective for the Lord and you're going to be picked on. It's going to be longer. You're going to be out trying to recover from this stuff. And see, Paul, by sending Timothy, he's able to encourage them as these times press in. That's Timothy, I want you to go. You need to encourage these people. Let me ask you a question. How do you do when troubled times set in? How, how do you do? You're going through the ring. You're going through a hard time. How, how do you go through them? I mean, how do you do? How are you doing? Maybe you're going through something this morning. And you're saying, you know, I'm going through a hard time. Well, how are you doing without the body of Christ, without the Lord? You say, well, I pray all the time, Pastor. You don't give me none of that. Listen, there is more times than not that the enemy seems to pick off the stragglers as he did and the children of Israel as they're wandering through the desert. They pick off those on the outside. They're easy prey. They were too involved. They were too inside. And, and, and I say, you and I are no different than Paul in many ways. If we're going to stand up for the truth, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to suffer some kind of opposition. And we need one another. I need you and you need me. We need one another. We have to be there for one another. Where there's no lone ranger, I don't cut my pinky off every time it, uh, you know, cramps up or something. I I need that pinky there. Pinky needs to be a part of the uh, part part of my body. And so, listen, we need one another. But then Paul goes on to tell us why this building up is or encouragement is so important. He says this 
in verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Look at it, that no one should be shaken. We know that Paul was there in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. But we see that in a short time, he made it very clear that, listen, the young church, how would you like it? You you want to be a friend of church? By the way, there's my last Sunday here, my third and last Sunday here. Uh, You're going to suffer persecution. Because he obviously taught him of those things. He said uh, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourself know that we were appointed to this. So in the short time that Paul had with them, he wanted to make sure that they knew that if they're going to stand up for Jesus in the world that they live in, you're going to face opposition. It should be echoing in our ears today. You see, Paul doesn't want these believers to be shaken from the truth because of the affliction that the enemy or the opposition is, is bringing their way. He, you know, as Paul writes this letter, he writes to those who have come in some form of a godliness, but it has no power, and they, the church, aren't to be shaken. Listen, we have the power of God. We have the greatest message ever to give out in this world, and we will not be defeated. Are you with me? I mean, we're going to go through hard times. Don't get me wrong. We'll go through difficult times. We go, but we have the greatest, we have the most powerful, life-changing Word of God within our grasp. And we get to preach it still freely today. And I'm like thinking, man, I am so glad that we're not being censored. Or we may be censored, but I ain't listening. (laughs) And so what Paul says is he says the word, you know, don't be shaken. I don't want you to be shaken. He has a concern for the church. And that the word shaken brings on the meaning, don't be shaken or disturbed. In the Greek, it literally uh, speaks of this, a dog wagging his tail in a flattering way. And say, you know what? Listen, somebody explained it like this, that no man should among his calamities be allured by the flattering hope of a more pleasant life to abandon his duty. What you and I need to do is we don't stop wagging our tails at things that don't make sense. That we got, we need to listen. He's given us a sound mind. He's given us an understanding. And I'm sure that you remember when even Jesus came to Jerusalem. Listen, the people that wanted to invite him in, that you know, the religious leaders and such, they said, Well, if you're the king, I'm so glad you're here, but I'm not going to support a suffering king. See, nobody wants to suffer. They wanted a king that was going to be undefeated, a king that was going to, you know, just walk strong and conquer the Roman rule and all this stuff. And look at even when he was being, when he ascended unto heaven in the early parts of Acts, they asked him, is this now you're going to set up the kingdom? Is it now? You see, nobody wants to really associate with suffering. But here's much of the same as for you and I. We want a life without suffering. We want easy street. But those who choose to follow Jesus, and they're going to follow the Lord, they're going to live their life for him, must understand that the road that he traveled the road that he paid for you and I, it was the road marked with suffering. And you and I have to understand that it's there. And, and there are many who will, they're out there, they're holding other offers, they're saying, hey, let's just get so involved in this stuff. If you have, if you have trials in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith and they want you to wag your tail at their message. And they want you to go under, after that message and be shaken or disturbed that, man, you mean that I don't have to suffer? I'm not wishing suffering upon anybody. I'm just going to tell you, you start walking and keep walking uh, strong for Jesus. And I'm sure that you've saw times where you've had opposition. It just comes with the territory. And so what Paul was concerned about as the church was 
giving in uh, to the mounting pressures that they were facing. Don't, don't say anything. Don't be a solid Christian. Look, it just kind of slide under the radar. Jesus is coming. So he didn't say that. Listen, we got a voice. And the only voice that is not heard is the one that is not spoken. And we have a voice. You know, we talk about some of the tragedies or the things of help in our town. Um, we need Jesus. You know, what's, what's the cure for... Well, I won't get into political stuff right now. Jesus is a cure. And so what, what Paul is saying is, look, don't wag your tails to just anything that's out there. Don't be disturbed. Don't be shaken. And again, he's concerned that they're going to give up. It's the heart of that shepherd looking out there going, I know, the, I know, that you, I, I know that you, what you guys are going through. Listen, I know some of what you guys are going through. I understand that. I've been there. I've been in the workplace. I've been in the situations where families' tensions run high. I get that. I'm there. I've been there. But what he wants is for us to encourage one another to be like Timothy, to come alongside. But listen to this. Paul told Timothy, young Timothy, something that the Thessalonians are just they're learning. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said in verse 3, You therefore, speaking to young Timothy, understand this, Timothy. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier. Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. Jesus often warned the disciples. He says, you know, in the world you're going to see tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He didn't say, I'm going to, you know, wipe out the, keep you guys from being um, persecuted. He says it's going to come. And it's amazing how fast some will check out a fellowship so they don't have to go through, endure, go through times of hardship. I mean, hirelings are like that. The first thing that they do when trouble starts, the first side of trouble, they split, but they're not a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Those that even will not teach the fullness of the gospel have to be careful because they'll dance around things and the body will never know when they go through a hard time. Well, I don't know how you're going through it. I've never seen it in Scripture. Well, we never come across it unless you are going to teach and be faithful to the Word of God. See, there's a lot of sugar put out there into the drinks of many. A lot of people are drinking a Kool-Aid without, without reading the label. You see, the church was seeing and experiencing the sufferings that Paul had talked about firsthand. They're seeing these things. And now, now they're experiencing, they, they've heard these things, now they're experiencing these things. See, it's one thing about just reading about the trials, isn't it? But it's a whole nother when we experience them. It's a whole thing when we read about Job, we get through Job and say, man, that guy went through it. But it's another thing if we have to go through just a, you know, we get a flat tire on the way to work. We think the world is coming, they're loose. You see, this church was seeing and experiencing the times of suffering firsthand. And Paul says, you're not to be shaken because of them. Listen, don't be shaken. Well, how well do you and I do at the first sight of being uncomfortable? Or how well do we uh, do when, when persecution sets in? It might be your work where they're saying, you know what, you got to stop wearing that shirt. you got to stop talking that. You know, you, you can't mention Jesus here. How well do you do? 
or how, how many can see uh, in your workplace or in your family that you're really trusting God. You don't understand everything, but I'm just trusting God through it. In the midst of the storm that I'm going through, in the midst of things that are changing in my life, I'm not that person anymore. How much are you being moved by that? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. I want you to read this. I have it on your screen, but I'm, I'm going to have you, I, w- I want to read this with you. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is reading, um, he's ministering to the elders at Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says this, and I'll, read it, I'll start reading, you can catch up. Acts 20, 17, from Miletus, he, being Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So, He's telling them that, you know what, guys, um, I need to talk to you because there's going to be some uncomfortable situations, some things lurking about that we need to deal with. You're going to have to deal with because Paul was departing. In verse 18 of Acts 20, he says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I have always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me uh, by the plotting of the Jews, but I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here's where Paul goes into this. You may want to underline it. He goes, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. I'm going bound. God has me on this mission and I'm going to go bound. There's nothing I can do. I'm incarcerated by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit taking me to this place. And he says, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Look at verse 23. Except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now let let me grab your attention for a second. Are you guys still on this trip? Are you guys still going to follow? See what I'm saying? Paul is saying, look, God wants me to go here. And I'm going to go there, and he keeps testifying that it's not going to be pretty. You still on board? Are you checking out? Look at what he says in verse 24. This is what I want you to underline. But he says, none of these things move me. I'm not being persuaded. I'm not wagging my tail the way out. None of these things move me. Why? Because he says, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ, I testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Look, these things don't bother me because i got a mission that God has called me to. That mission is greater. That command by God that He's called me to is greater than any opposition that's going to come my way. I'm not so put in fear or in check by the opposition. I just want to fulfill what it is God has for me. You see, the question might ring in our own minds is how well are you looking to finish your race or your ministry or your life here on earth. And your finish is going to be dependent on how you value things on earth. How, how valuable they are to you. What, what, you know, this is more important because I've got too much time invested or money invested in this and I'm just going to do this. And man, I, you know, God's saying, you know what, but I want you to go through this. Sounds like a troubled time to me. God says, wait a second. You see, if we're valuing things with an earthly value, we might be running the wrong race. And then in verse 4, the confirmation that Paul brings to these trials, he says, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that you or that we would suffer tribulation. It's just that it has happened, as you know. Isn't it one thing to be told about a trial, but another to go through it? You'd be warned about something, but then to have to go through it. It's kind of like a storm. 
You know, you think, oh, her, the Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Sandy was something's coming. And you think, oh, wow, that's a warning. And then all of a sudden it's another to have to go through that in the aftermath. It's a whole other thing. It brings on a whole other reality. These people, you know, two days ago were just thinking, okay, the storm's coming. We're praying that it doesn't come, but it's coming. And all of a sudden it's here and houses are devastated. Lives are changed. And then you and I, we go down to help out and then you see the, the look on their face. But how many times in the church when the message is that there's a warning out there, but we don't take heed to it. And then when we hit it, we hit it like face on, like we're running into a brick wall. And we go, whoa, what just happened? Well, I told you there's going to be warnings out there. The Lord will say, you know what? There's going to be things that come. We're going to suffer these tribulations. There's going to be times that you're going to experience the pain. This Thessalonican church, they were experiencing the pain that they were warned about. And it brings on a whole nother demeanor. You know, Paul had spoken about that. But like I said, it's like hearing the trials and it's another experiencing the trials. You and I should be very aware of them. We need to be aware. The trials can happen at any time. It's not when, it's, or it's not if, it's when. There's trial or some opposition that's going to come against us. But where are we going to stand? And Paul says, you know what? Uh, we told you. Hasn't Jesus forewarned the disciples that there's going to be troubles in this world? Look, there's an easy way to avoid troubles, and that's to avoid walking with Jesus. There's an easy way to get out of, you know, not having to stand up for truth, and that's to avoid presenting truth. But it breaks my heart to see people that are going to, you know, believe the lie. And, they, and they're into things that I just shake my head about. Are you kidding me? What's going on in the world that we live in? I can see the, the church isn't as strong as the church needs to be. The problem isn't with the world out there or the government. The problem is within the church. The, the, you know, the Bible tells us that judgment will begin where? Not in the White House. Not in City Hall. But judgment will begin at the house of God. Why? Because we have all the answers. We've been changed. But what are we doing with that change that's been brought our way? And he says, you're going to suffer tribulation. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to go, okay, let's do this. And again, it's one thing to hear of a storm brewing, but it's another to go through it. So we got to look at how are we going through these things? Listen, we're going to go through hard times, but is that going to keep you from standing up for the truth? We need Timothys to stand up, be ministers, to be faithful servants, to be fellow laborers. We need, we need people that are going to stand up in the church today. Not be obnoxious, but just to stand up with the truth. I guess you'll be obnoxious then. But for you and I, again, it's much easier to read stories in the Bible about people, you know, going through tough times or, you know, they're going to suffer for the gospel's sake. But it's actually a lot different going through them. When we go through them, we need to go through them together so that we can minister to one another and encourage one another through them. You see, the trials that, that we often go through that take place in our lives, they're not always bad. You know that? The trials oftentimes are used to groom and to grow us in the image of Jesus. Sometimes he's using something in your life that he wants you to go through so that you'll grow through it. And, and, and you know, we have, to be, we have to be looking out and say, Lord, what is it that you have me do? The trials, in a, way have a, in a way, have a working things out of our lives that may not get the attention unless they were wrestled up with troubles that come our way. Maybe there's some opposition that's come against you. A friend now is saying, oh, you're really a Christian? How big of a Christian are you? What does that mean? And you're like, ooh, uh-oh, <laughs> okay. 
We've got to stand up for that, are we not? Let's close with this. Look at verse 5. Because the concern is valid. Paul says, For this reason, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter attempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So Timothy, Timothy, your task is to establish the believers and encourage or comfort them in their faith. That's what I pray that we would do. We bring forth the Word of God, right? It has a chance of rebuke and reproof and all this stuff, but there's also this encouragement. And you can see that Paul has such a genuine concern for them that he can't, can't wait back to hear back from Timothy. I'm sending you. I want to hear back. We'll see next week what he says. You can read ahead. But it's important to keep in mind that our faith in God, it's our faith in God that keeps our feet on the ground when the enemy attacks. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need to make sure that we're having faith, not in faith, but faith in God. And I love it when I get a phone call. You know, somebody might say, um, you know, I'm really going through it. And I'm not the part of the phone call I'm happy about. But what, what brings joy to my heart is when you say, man, I'm going through it. But you know what? I'm just trusting in the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm just trusting in the Lord. I love to see people's faith in action. And Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. So we don't have to worry about pleasing our Lord by what we do, you know, in the sense of raising our hands, becoming more spiritual, bigger prayer life. Just trust Him. All those things are good, but just trust Him. And then we find out that our faith is huge. And it's a blessing to actually work it out and trusting it. God, you know, going to the gym of God, God's Word and trusting Him and growing our faith. Trusting Him as we go through the tough times and building our faith. Remember as the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There, there's some valid concerns that Paul has here. But he says, you know what? He says, Timothy, you got to go because I, I sent to know your faith. There's some concerns that he has there. He's a true shepherd. He has a true heart. Again, verse 5 says, lest by some means the tempter has tempted you in our labor might be in vain. So you got to understand this is a real devil out there. It's real opposition to what God wants to have done. And you and I, when we're attacked by the enemy, we have to understand that there's a temptation and the devil knows this. And the temptation might be that we would crawl in our little closet at home, become isolated. There might be a temptation when the tribulations come or when the trials come, when the well, the times when we need the Lord and need one another the greatest, there may be times that you know we'll we'll just kind of soak away and go in our in our own dwelling place. Listen, I'm I'm all for uh, understanding that in in this world that we're going to face times that are going to bring us into somewhat of a downtrodden or even a depressed state. But God is always there. The Satan, the tempter wants to come in. He wants to take it from, oh, you think you're going through it. The tempter wants to get you to tempt to do something that God would never have you do. To check out. See, he has a plan and he wants his plan to be accomplished. And that's what, what, what Paul is writing here. I got to check on your faith. I, I want to see how your faith is doing because there's a real tempter out there. Well, just thinking about that this morning, church, what about you and I this morning? What about you? What about me? How are we doing? 
Are you in opposition? Are you finding out that there's some tribulation going on? I have a concern. I think there's always a concern for a pastor to have proper concern for his sheep. And I'm concerned that the enemy would attempt tempt you to block your heart that you wouldn't open your heart to doing what God wants you to do. It's a concern. I'm concerned that some will harden their hearts enough to not allow forgiveness to be given to those who are in need. I have a concern about that. Because the devil's always tempting us in those things. You see, I have a concern that um, some will find the sweet-sounding words of the enemy with false doctrine that permeates our nation as well as our community, and they'll fall for it. I have a concern for that. I have a concern that those who want to teach you how to encounter God instead of walk with God, I have a concern about that. But where are we going? Where's our nation going? There's a whole movement out there that, that uses, listen, gospel, keyword. They don't preach it, but they, the gospel's a keyword. Trip word. Encounter, trip word. Key phrase. Start talking that lingo. I know where you're coming from. But these things are true, and people are, our, our youth are going to this stuff by the thousands. The incorrect doctrine. You know what they have you waiting for? If you try hard enough, pray hard enough. If you don't, you don't have faith. If you pray hard enough that you'll start seeing millions of Christians come to Christ. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds good. They also tell you that um, they're going to usher the kingdom of God to Jesus. He is not coming back for his church. It's called Dominion Theology. Big in this, big in this town, big in our nation. I have a fear, I have a concern. I should say a concern that if you don't like what you hear when you hear the word of God going out, that you just might meander back into one of these places. That <laughs> I have a concern about that. I have such a concern that I've sat down with some of the key players of this ministry. And talk to them. But as, 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 the, as your pastor, as a pastor of this church, I need to stick to the Word of God and say this. Listen, again in verse 5, when, when uh, Paul says, For this reason, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. I don't want to see that take place in your life. I don't want to see you, I mean, you can go to any church. Trust me, we're not God's gifted churches. But you better have the Bible. And they better teach the Bible. And not from the Bible, teach the Bible. And you're going to grow in that. When we get to heaven, we are going to have a lot of rejoicing going on. But until that time, there's battles and we need to be properly equipped. And We shouldn't think that we're above the early church that can fly by the radar of attacks, should we? How are we doing? And maybe you can use some encouragement this morning. And the encouragement might be just to look at where you're at and say, you know what, I, I need to get back to this. 
I need to get back to Jesus. I need to trust in Him. I've been putting too much energy into my own life, too much energy into things that I think are important. You come to Jesus and He says, you know what, let me take that for you. Cast all your burdens upon me. I care for you. That's what we want to do. And our leaders will be up here as the worship team comes back up and they'll be here to pray with you. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you are the opinion that if you were going to die today and you don't know whether you'd be in heaven, I don't know. You need to come up here and talk to one of our elders. They want to tell you about the gospel message. They want to tell you what Jesus has done for you. Listen, it's a good thing that we can repent of our sin. When you go before a judge... I'm always looking for an excuse. I mean, really, right? How am I going to get out of this, right? And I'm like, well, my, my speedometer was off. My, you know, my foot got caught in the gas. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, boy. Okay, when you go before the Lord, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Guilty. And then we hear the defending attorney Jesus saying, mine. I covered them. You have to call upon him. You need to turn over your ways. So let's stand together as the team comes up this morning. Father, we come to you. We're so grateful. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.